Good morning, Every Nation Reimser. So great to be with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. We are talking about Exodus. We are continuing our Exodus series. And if you remember, last week we left Moses at the burning bush. You will remember that he asked God two questions. He said, who am I that I should do this thing that you have asked me? And he and he asked God, who are you? God replied with that astounding revelation. I am that I am, thereby declaring that he is the God of the universe, all sufficient and self-sufficient, the definer of all things. You will remember that God had called Moses from the book, from the bush, excuse me, and he had given Moses an assignment to go to Pharaoh and to bring all the people of Israel out of bondage from their slavery in Egypt. You will also remember that God, or the Bible rather, says that God was doing this because he had remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we learn from this that God is a covenant-keeping God. So Lord, as we continue this series, I pray that you would you would anoint this moment, Lord God, that people would hear your voice as I speak, Lord God. I pray that the Bible and the story of Exodus would come alive to them, that they would see themselves in the journey of Israel. They would see you working in their lives as you worked in the life of Israel, in the life of Moses, Lord God. I pray that today they would have an encounter with you. And Lord God, I pray that they would leave the sermon changed. And Lord God, more able to receive your love and to give your love. Amen. So now as we continue the series, we're moving on. Last week we handled chapter 3. Now we are looking at chapter 4 in the book of Exodus. It's basically the same story. The first part was Moses at the burning bush. He's still at the burning bush, but instead of asking questions, he's now giving objections. He's heard the call of God and he's now, it's almost like he's stalling for time and he's giving objections and he's offering a compromise. Straight after that, he heads off to Egypt and a wild incident happens. God tries to kill him. We're going to get there. Hang on. Let the suspense keep you gripped. And finally, he meets Aaron, his brother. I want to look at three aspects when we look at this chapter four. I want to look at the call, the covenant, and the crew. Luckily, they all sees. My husband would be proud of me. The call, the covenant, and the crew. I hope you can remember those three. Let's begin with the call. Now, all of us have been called by God. Being called by God is not an exclusive thing. Clearly, Moses was called by God at the burning bush to go and do a spectacular thing, a dramatic thing, an enormous thing. He was called to confront Pharaoh. He was called to call down plagues. He was called to rally an entire nation, take them on a long and arduous journey, teach them the ways of God, an enormous and important call that he was given. But all of us have a call from God. The call that you have may not be as dramatic as Moses was, but it certainly is going to be as important. It may not involve calling entire nations or standing before despotic rulers, but it certainly will be important in the plan of God for the earth. When we step into our call, the kingdom of God is advanced. Now you may be an engineer, a nurse, perhaps a researcher, 
shop assistant, I don't know what your occupation is, but no matter what you do on a daily basis, there is a call of God on your life to receive God's love, to know God, to meet God as Moses did at the burning bush, to encounter him as the fire of God. You remember that as, as the loving, comforting, drawing, nurturing God, but also as the holy, all-sufficient, mighty, powerful God that he is. To encounter God and to and to hear his call and to respond to his call. So no matter what you do, there, there is God working in your life to bring this to pass. Now, even though you may, your occupation may be quite different from that of Moses, at the essence of all our calls, there is a foundational thing that is always the same. There's kind of like a general call that God gives to every human being. And that call is to be in covenant, covenant with him through, in the Old Testament, it was to be in covenant with him through the Old Covenant. In the New Testament, it's to be in covenant with him through Jesus Christ. It means that we are, as Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 4 verse 19, to follow Christ, to follow Jesus, and to become fishers of men, to follow Jesus, to fellowship with believers, and to fish for men. There's a general call that all of us have in Christ Jesus, just by the virtue of the fact of being human and being under the covenant, the new covenant of what Jesus did on the cross. We all have that general call, but then also within that general call, every one of us will have a specific call. We'll have something, something specific that God has called us to do, and that will generally involve your occupation as I said, it can involve that wide range of things, whatever, whatever you feel like God has put in your heart to do. It also can involve full-time ministry. There are those of you who are watching who are in fact called to work full-time in the church, for the church, and in the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of us have a call. As I said, not all of our calls are as dramatic as Moses' call. But here's the crunch that I said earlier that I want to reiterate is that all of our calls are as important as Moses' call was. Now Moses, when he received his call, he offered two objections, as I said, and he, he offered a compromise. When we engage with God around our call, what he's called us to do, if you are as human as Moses was, which I suspect you are, you probably have had objections. You've had thoughts about how this is impossible or what God's called you to do or what you felt in your heart cannot be done. And you have probably offered God compromises as well. Let's examine those because I think they are helpful in that the way that God responded to Moses' objections is the same way that he responds to our objections, the same way he responded to Moses' offer of a compromise is the same way as he offered as he responds to our offer of compromise. So what were Moses' objections? The first one he says, they won't listen. In other words, I'm going to go to Israel and tell them that God has sent me to do this amazing thing. They're not going to believe me. I'm going to go to the Egyptians and tell them to let the Israelites go. Why would they believe me? They won't listen, he said. What was God's response? If you go ahead and read chapter 4, you will see that God said to him, okay, I'm going to give you three miraculous signs that as you move in them will convince the people that you are speaking to that I am with you. I've indeed called you and this thing that you are saying is true. 
The first sign was that Moses was asked by God to throw down his staff. He threw down his staff. It immediately turned into a snake. Then God said, okay, grab it by the tail. He grabbed it by the tail. I think that took quite a lot of faith if you ask me. He grabbed it by the tail and it immediately turned back into a staff. The second sign was that he took God asked him to take his arm and put it into his cloak. As he did it, he pulled it out and it was leprous. And then God said, put it in again. He did. He put it in and it came out and it was perfectly normal. And then God gave him one side, one more sign. He said, if they don't listen to those first two signs, take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, and it will turn into blood right there in front of everyone. I feel like those three signs are enough to convince anyone that the person speaking comes from God. And Moses seemed satisfied with those three. What do we learn from God's response to Moses? We often ask those same questions or have those same objections. God, God, if I do what you say I must do, will people listen? Will they respond to me? Will they reject me? Will, will I be heard? Will will people follow me? Will I have the influence necessary to get this done? So many variations on that same theme. God responds in a very similar way. And what we can learn from this is we can learn that God will back your obedience with his power. In other words, when you step out and do the things God has called you to do, there will be a corresponding move of God that will undergird you, will confirm that you have in, you indeed are doing the things that God has asked you. Mark 16 verse 20 says this, And they, the disciples, went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. There you have it. It's as we obey the general call to go and preach the gospel, to tell our friends about what Jesus has done in our life, to exhibit his goodness and his glory wherever we go, that there, is, there will be accompanying signs, miracles that will follow us. In the same way as we engage in our specific call that God has given us, God will undergird us with contracts, with influence, with whatever necessary to get the job done because he's a God who is good and he's a God who surrounds his servants with favor. The second objection that Moses made was, God, I don't speak well. I'm not eloquent. I'm slow of speech and tongue, he said. God would hear none of it. His response, you can read it in Exodus 4, 11 and 12. God said this to Moses, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I? the Lord. Now, therefore, go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. What can we learn from God's response in this regard? We can learn that your call, your call will require more than your learning and skill. In other words, you know what? It may be true that you don't speak well. It may be true that you're limited in your abilities in the thing that God has called you. But God didn't call you to something that was completely within your skill gambit. He didn't call you to something that only you could accomplish because he wants it to be known when you get it done, that it was him and you together. He wants part of the, the work and he wants the glory. He wants people to know that it was a good and gracious God that allowed you to get this done. He wants people to look at you and say, oh my word, I didn't know that Sipo was that great. I didn't know that John was that great. How, how are they managing to accomplish this? And your answer will be, God 
is with me. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7 says this, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of power may be of God and not of us. God is not waiting for you to be perfect. So many people, so many people give this objection in stepping out in the things that God has called them to. Oh, I need to learn some more. I need more skills. I need more practice. I don't think I'm ready. But here's the wild thing is that if you know Jesus, you're ready. If you are united to him in covenant, if you've said yes to him, if you're born again, then he is with you and you are ready. That means he's already launching you into your call. As you go, he will most certainly be adding things to you. He most certainly will be increasing your skill. He will most certainly be adding excellence to you, but he's not waiting for those things to be excellent in order to use you, in order to release you into your call. He is calling you from the moment you said yes to him, his call went out and you are beginning to walk in that call. Finally, Moses offers a compromise. I think he he realized none of his excuses were working and he was like, it doesn't say this in the passage, but from reading it, I get the impression that he didn't really want to do it. And here he finally comes with this final objection and he says, God, please. Will you send someone else, please? I mean, I don't think I can do it. I said they wouldn't listen. You said you'll do these signs, but really, I think someone else will do a better job. How many times have we thought that? How many times have, whether we've said it out loud or not, it's kind of like rung through our minds. Someone else could be doing this better. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's not. But God called you. God called Moses. What is so interesting is that the Bible says God got angry with Moses, but, but God's response was not to reject his compromise. But in fact, what God did when Moses kind of offered that compromise saying, please send someone else. God then kind of unveiled his full plan. And he said, well, as we speak, actually Aaron is coming now and he speaks well, he'll go with you. Now you may might say, well, well, if God was going to do that anyway, why all this? Well, well, I, I feel like God has a kind of a kind of way of doing things that always works, that always applies. And what we can learn from this is that God never sends you unaccompanied. Why is this important? Is that even before Moses gave that objection, God had already decided that Moses wasn't going to do this alone. And I want to, I want to propose to you that even your call, God has not called you to do it alone. That your call is our call and my call is our call, that we accomplish our call together. That doesn't mean that there aren't things that you'll have to do alone. That doesn't mean there won't be times of loneliness or times when you have to step out and maybe do things that other people around you are not quite understanding. It doesn't mean that there won't be some hardships or some some pressing in that you have to do as an individual. It doesn't mean that, but it does mean this, that, that your call always fits into the larger call of the church. And God has called the church to be a support and a community for all the individual calls that make up the church. In other words, each and every person, the the ability for us to fulfill our call depends on how well we are we are embraced and how well we are fitted into and how well we are relationally connected within the church, the local body of Christ. 
Interestingly enough, in Matthew 16, verse 18, Jesus was talking to Peter and he said this to Peter. He said, um, Peter just confessed him as the Messiah. And he said, on this rock, on this confession that you have made, Peter, on the, on the faith in me as a Messiah, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want you to note what it doesn't say. It doesn't say um, against you, Peter, the gates of hell will not prevail. He it didn't say against an NGO, the gates of hell won't prevail. He didn't say against you, put your name in there, the gates of hell won't prevail. He said against the church, the gates of hell won't prevail. What does that mean? It means that it is the entity of the church, God's expression of his community, of his people on earth against which the gates of hell will not prevail. Evil will be destroyed, not by individuals on personal crusades. Evil will be destroyed by the church rising up as a community and standing for what it's called to do. Each individual embracing their call and doing their call, embracing the general call of the church and embracing the specific calls of each, that each of them has as individuals, all of us together within that community. That is how evil will be pushed back in your communities, in your family. It's, it's being a part of a local body of Christ that makes the difference in you being able to fulfill the call of God on your life, just as Moses could only do it with Aaron by his side. And indeed, with the, the nation of Israel following him, so you will only be able to do it with specific individuals by your side, within the body of Christ, in the church, and with the backing of a church community. So we've talked about the call. I want to talk a little bit about the covenant. We're moving on to that really strange portion of Exodus 4. If you've read Exodus 4, it, I would imagine that it just arrested you when you read it. You were astounded. What does this mean? But it's a portion of scripture where God calls Moses Moses now has finally got to the place where he's got on the mission. He's starting to do what God says. He's walking towards Egypt. He's got up his family. He said goodbye to his father-in-law and he's, he's moving back towards Egypt. And then it says this from verse 24 at a lodging place, Exodus 4 from, from verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah, his wife, took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then she said, Oh, bridegroom of blood, because of the circumcision. I know right now you're saying, What on earth is Carol going to say concerning that portion of scripture? Crazy interesting, wild portion of scripture. Why did the writer of Exodus make sure that was in there? Because the way you obey God is as important as the fact that you are obeying God. Jesus said this, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14 verse 6. In other words, he is the destination, but he's also the way to that destination. In other words, the way we accomplish what God called us to do is as important, sorry, the that we accomplish what God has called us to do is as important as the way we get there. Let me explain this further. Circumcision was a sign of the covenant. Moses was meant to go to Pharaoh in order to represent God in covenant with Israel. Remember, God right from the beginning was rescuing Israel. Why? Because he was in covenant with them. 
And so Moses was meant to stand before Pharaoh and represent a covenant-keeping God. The way the Israelites expressed that covenant, the sign that God gave them to express that covenant was the act of circumcision. Here Moses was going to represent a covenant-keeping God and yet his family were not keeping the sign of the covenant. God was saying to him, you, can, you cannot represent my covenant unless you're living in the covenant. You cannot represent my covenant unless you are living in the covenant. Now, interestingly enough, the Bible in the New Testament takes that representation of the covenant that was circumcision in the Old, Old Testament and we have a parallel in the New Testament that we also have a sign of the covenant that figuratively we as a people are meant to wear. What is that sign of the covenant? Colossians 2 verse 11 and 12 says this, In him, in Christ, you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. In the New Testament, circumcision no longer applies, but baptism takes its place. Baptism in water, full immersion in water as a sign and a declaration is an outward expression of an inward conviction of a sign that I'm in covenant with Jesus. Just as they were meant to engage in circumcision in the Old Testament, so we are meant to engage in baptism as a sign of the covenant. Remember, you can't present the covenant unless you're living in the covenant. Unless we we embrace all that God has asked of in the covenant. There are two parts in a covenant. God has done the major part. God's part was to die on the cross, to purchase us back from sin, to eradicate the power of the enemy in our, our lives, to grab us out of the mire that we had sunk into to separate us and save us and reconcile us to him. He's done that through his death and resurrection. And now our part is to say yes, yes in faith and to wear the sign of the covenant and to live as people who are rescued, live as people who are redeemed, live as people who are loved, live out the covenant in our good deeds, in our love for God and our love for others, in our obedience to Christ. First and foremost in the, in the act of getting baptized as a public declaration of our faith, but Secondarily to that, to, to live out our faith in love and obedience to Christ and to what he's asked of us. Recently, we had some baptisms and there's a man by the name of Tabor Shuba who was baptized. And I have his permission to share his testimony. But he talks about how before his baptism, he was, he was really wrestling with um, who God is in his life and how, how, the, how he is meant to live out his Christianity. He felt like God, God asked him to step out and get baptized in faith to, as he began to understand the covenant, to make that public declaration as an act of faith. He was baptized and I want to read something that he wrote concerning his baptism. He said this, what this meant for me was a new birth founded in the will of God. A couple of day, days passed after the baptism. Then I heard God's vision for my life. To do his will in his lifetime. Number one, 
Two, to be a continual carrier of his presence. Number three, to bring his kingdom on earth. And he added this at the end. If we are believers in Christ, there is freedom and direction. God is always leading us. And if we are led by him, adversities shouldn't impair us, but prepare us for a greater level. I love that. Adversity shouldn't impair us, but rather prepare us for a greater level. God wants his battle back. In other words, he doesn't want you fighting the battle. He wants to be fighting the battle. And Baptism is a way of aligning yourself with the covenant of God and saying yes in a public way to what God is saying for you. As circumcision was part of every Israelite's covenant with God, so baptism is part of our covenant in Christ. Let's move on and talk about the crew. So after Moses has had this exciting experience with God and is saved by his wife at the last minute from being obliterated by God because he wasn't representing the covenant well. We move on to Exodus 4 from verse 27 and it says this, The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the works of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worship as I said earlier God never sends you alone he always sends you with a crew in the community of the church of the living God your call is part of our call I'm reminded of the story of Jesus when four friends of a lame man came and and brought their lame friend to Jesus but there were so many crowds around Jesus that they couldn't get their friend to Jesus so they took their friend up onto the roof and they scraped away at the roofing material and lowered their friend down to Jesus to the roof isn't that wild and crazy so such an exciting story and Jesus then healed that man but interestingly enough he he pointed to the four friends and said your faith their faith had made this happen. How amazing is that? Is that at a time when this man could not get to Jesus, his friends got him to Jesus. You can read the story in Mark 2 and Luke 5. But what I love about this and what it really speaks to me is that every single one of us are going to need some stretcher bearers. Every one of us at some stage in our life are going to face situations and adversities and difficult things that are going to need friends around us that are going to remind us of what's true that are going to take us to Jesus when we can't get there are going to pray for us are going to speak the right things are going to lead us are going to get us to church when we don't want to go to church are going to make make a way for us to experience God as we need him I have four friends there happen to be four of them who I consider my stretcher bearers and I I know that no matter what I'm going through those four friends are going to stand true to Jesus they're going to tell me what I need to know they are going to pray for me they are going to get me to a place where I can get the help I need and likewise they know that I would do that for them everyone needs everyone needs some stretcher bearers where do we find those kind of people that stand with us? Where do we find our crew? Where do we find 
our errands, those people who will walk with us in our call, who will fill in for our inadequacies, will walk with us, help us, lead us, speak to us when we need it. Where do we find those kind of people? Well, I propose to you that the best place to find them is in a small group in a church. People that you've walked with over a long period of time, the people that you've built up memories with, people that you've built up victories with, people that you've spent time discussing things that you've got to know, that you know their life, they know your life, that over a period of time you've built the kind of relationship where you can trust them and they can trust you. One of the reasons we have small groups for start in churches for this very reason is that we know people need a crew people need stretcher bearers people need friends people need people who will keep them on mission will keep them on call will remind them of who they are and remind them of who God is in their lives so as I conclude this sermon there there are four points that I hoped you caught as we went through the sermon first of all Jesus has called all of us to be a part of his great plan for the earth. There is the general call to receive his love and show his love, be a testimony of what he's done, be a witness of what he's done in the earth that we all hold. But there's also a personal call that we all have. It may not be as dramatic as Moses, but it certainly is as important as Moses. And then we, as we follow Jesus' call on our lives, he backs our obedience with power. An interesting story in this regard is that sometime back I was obeying my specific call in being a pastor. I was in Bloemfontein and I was teaching some people about hearing God's voice and God kind of alerted me to my general call in the middle of all this and he showed me a specific lady, highlighted a specific lady to me and told me some things about her. And I, I went up to her and I was, I was kind of sharing my walk with the Lord and witnessing about Jesus Christ to her. She then, as I was talking, she said, oh my word. She kind of stopped and looked at me and said, oh my word, all the pain's gone. As we were talking, she mentioned that she had had a debilitating sickness called fibromyalgia for many years and had been racked by constant pain for years. And as we were talking, the pain all left her. It's almost like as I was obeying God's call on my life, as I was sharing the truth and the love of Jesus Christ with her, God backed my obedience with a miracle. And right there, she was healed. It was easy to share the gospel with her after that. The third point that I hope you got was that we are in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Baptism is an external sign of that covenant. And the fourth point I hope you got is that the fulfillment of Jesus' call for us is facilitated by the community in which we live. We are all meant to be part of this glorious body of Christ, which is the church, your local church. So great to be with you this Sunday. I pray that God would bless you. I ask, Lord God, that, that everyone who has been hearing this sermon, Lord God, that you would reiterate to them their call. You would, you would highlight to them what they're called to. If they don't know, Lord God, would you help them to get about the general call of Christians? Would you bind them into the body of Christ? Would you help them to find their crew, Lord God? And Father God, would you allow them to live the fulfilled life of following you and fishing for men? Love you guys. Trust that you'll have a great day. May the Lord be with you. God bless you.